Welcome to the Nourished and Free podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Yates, a registered dietitian, and this is where we talk all things intuitive eating, body image, and really just how to create a healthy relationship with food. dietitian and anti-diet nutrition coach, one of the number one questions I get asked is, what do I think of intermittent fasting? Because I work with the eating disorder population, I have a lot of concerns about this fad. So I'll go through those thoughts and concerns, as well as what the research is saying to back up those concerns. However, I do want to preface this episode by saying There is research that could potentially support just about anything as a lifestyle choice, including intermittent fasting. And you will certainly hear from dietitians, even physicians, who think it's the best thing ever since sliced bread. However, we have to look at the risks versus the benefits before shouting from the rooftops about how great it is, which lucky for you is my job. So first, let's talk through the most common types of intermittent fasting. The first is the five and two. So essentially in this situation, a person eats whatever they want for five days out of the week. And then for the remaining two, they're fasting, usually eating no more than 500 calories or at least attempting to eat no more than 500 calories. The second type that we see most common with intermittent fasting is when a person eats during a set time throughout the day and then outside of that time period, the person is fasting. There is varying schedules to this. I've pretty much heard it all, but the most popular is the 16-8 method. So we're 16 hours of fasting and eight hours of feasting. Now, if you aren't doing intermittent fasting, I just want you to picture this for a moment. Let's say you're following the five and two schedule. On your two days of fasting, you aren't allowed over 500 calories. Now, let's say those days were Wednesday and Thursday, because who would choose the weekend, right? (laughs) Well, let's say that it's Wednesday evening. You've already met your 500 calorie limit because you probably met that in one meal. Then your husband or roommate or parents or whoever says, hey, we're going out to get some ice cream. Are you coming? How's that going to feel? I'll tell you one thing, it's not going to feel good that you can't go out with loved ones and participate in a treat. There's likely going to be a sense of disappointment, right? If we say no, or we'll feel a sense of guilt if we say yes, because you know you just blew your fasting day. Are either of those feelings something that you want to feel? Probably not. For fasters, this can come up a lot, especially for those utilizing the 16 and 8 plan. Which this segues into my first concern that I want to talk about with intermittent fasting, and that's food guilt. 
when we follow strict dietary regimens, guidelines, and rules, we're essentially setting ourselves up for failure. At some point in time, our biology takes over. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute and what I mean by that. But essentially, when we don't have the self-control to follow the rules perfectly, we feel guilty as if we've done something naughty or even sinful. For example, it's not your eating window, but your stomach is eating itself (laughs) from the inside out with hunger. So what do you do? You can't stop thinking about the potato chips that are in your cupboard. You keep wandering into the kitchen, dreaming of food, and then you end up finding yourself getting to those chips and finishing the entire bag. Now you have these intense feelings of, what have I done? I've ruined it. I messed up and I feel bad. Okay, so I would call this food guilt. And food guilt is really the gateway for the what the heck effect. Okay, which leads to my next concern. Binge eating. A lot of times with intermittent fasting, we see binge eating. One of the key predictors of binge eating is restriction, dieting, or fasting. So that's not very good news for intermittent fasters. I think it's important to explain why this is a predictor of binge eating. When we restrict our bodies of one of the most basic needs, which is food, right? If we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very bottom tier, the most essential tier is those physiological needs, and that includes food. So when we deprive ourselves of one of those basic needs, our body fights back, which I think that makes sense, right? We need food to survive. So when we send the message to our body that, well, you don't have enough of it, then it's going to beef up the survival instincts. Well, it turns out we have a lot of those. There are many, many mechanisms that activate when our body gets a signal that it's in a state of food restriction. I won't go into all of them on this episode, but the key takeaway here is that your biology drives you towards food. And what a gift, right? We want to survive, don't we? So our biology is making sure that happens. If you've been fasting for 16 hours, you better believe that that eating window is going to be jam-packed with as much food as you can fit into your stomach. You're not going to be having this perfectly portioned... um, half a cup of rice, one cup of veggies. Like, no, that's not going to be the priority because we're just trying to get some food in while we can. Eventually, we see that this happens outside of the eating window as well. The body really doesn't want to fast, so it will drive that individual towards food outside of that designating eating window, essentially making the eating window bigger and bigger, even though that might not be the intention. I also had mentioned the what the heck effect. (laughs) So I want to explain that. The what the heck effect is a term coined by uh, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch in their book Intuitive Eating. And it's essentially that all or nothing mentality that we often see in dieters. I've already broken the diet or, or broken the fast with this bite or snack or a meal or whatever it was. So I might as well go all out and enjoy it while I can, right? It's not all or nothing. I've already done it. I've already like messed up. So I'm just going to like enjoy it. What the heck? 
this typically ends up not being very enjoyable because of that food guilt that I mentioned. And we overeat or binge eat to the point of being uncomfortable. So it's really not an enjoyable experience. My next concern is the lack of interoceptive awareness. Okay. When we engage in restrictive dieting, especially when we have timers set, there's something that we are completely casting aside, which is interoceptive awareness. Okay. What that means is that we have absolutely no regard for how our body feels. Interoceptive awareness is essentially that we're tuning in to the signals as they're coming off in our body. Okay. We feel hungry or we feel full or we feel emerging fullness, or we feel like we want to taste something. That's all a part of being aware. But the problem is that in intermittent fasting, if it's not time to eat yet, we just ignore the hunger. Or if we're feeling full, but your eating window is almost over, we probably ignore that fullness and push in more food and get overly full because we see that time frame closing quickly. When interoceptive awareness is put into practice, along with intuitive eating, it's shown to create positive emotional functioning, greater life satisfaction, unconditional self-regard and optimism, psychological hardiness, greater motivation to exercise, and greater body appreciation and satisfaction. So bottom line is we don't want to be ignoring this. And when we deny interoceptive awareness and engage in dieting, We're going to see the opposite of all those amazing things I just listed off. So another concern that I have is uh, the only way that I could think I have little taglines in my notes. And the only thing I could come up with to say is that it's unnecessary. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times when people talk about intermittent fasting, they act like we have to force fasting because otherwise it's never going to happen. Right, We're told by diehard fasters that we have to engage in fasting during the day in order to reap the benefits. But the reality is that we fast every night when we're asleep. And that's what I mean by it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary to force fasting during the day because it's already something that happens and that we reap benefits from at the right time. We know that during sleeping hours, our body's doing a massive amount of restoration and repairing, okay? We don't need to try and extend that during the daytime by resisting food. There's a reason that we wake up hungry or that we should be waking up hungry, and it's because your body's ready for food after that overnight fast. Now, here's my biggest concern with fasting. It can either... Number one, turn into an eating disorder, or number two, it's a vehicle for an eating disorder to thrive, okay? So in regard to that former statement, number one, we see that roughly about one in four, some reports even state one in three, one in three, one in four dieters will develop an eating disorder, okay? So for those who are predisposed to developing an eating disorder, Engaging in a diet like intermittent fasting can be that final push over the edge. Okay, that's not something that I haven't heard before. In regards to the latter statement of it being a vehicle for an ED to thrive, 
what I mean is that oftentimes skipping meals is is seen with those suffering from an eating disorder, right? They skip meals. That's maybe part of the reason that they got brought into the doctors in the first place. So there's reason to believe that if intermittent fasting has turned into a convenient explanation to justify somebody's disordered eating behaviors, I mean, how nice would it be if suddenly you as somebody with an eating disorder could give a simple explanation to people who are expressing concern and just say, oh, I'm just intermittent fasting, right? And those who are expressing concern, they're threatening the safety of that disorder. So we want something to say that can get those people off our back, right? Especially if we're saying this to the doctors or dietitians who are in support of intermittent fasting. Providers could be missing a hugely dangerous threat to their patient's health if they view intermittent fasting as a normal lifestyle choice and even encourage it. When an individual is suffering from an eating disorder, it will fight hard. And yes, I mean it like the eating disorder. I talk about it like it's a third person in the room because honestly, that's how these things act. They act like this separate part of the brain that has decision-making abilities and it's crazy. They will fight hard to stick around. So any vehicle that can be used to normalize their behaviors and their desires, it will be used. So that's a huge concern is that eating disorders are disguising themselves under the blanket of intermittent fasting. you could stop thinking about food 24-7? Does it feel like your life is passing you by as you spend all your time and energy focusing on the next diet, the next weight loss scheme, or the latest health trend? I developed my 16-week mastermind program specifically for women who are ready to reclaim their time, their health, and their money from all that has been wasted as they pursue dead ends sold to them by diet culture. In this program, you will be with a group of like-minded women receiving coaching from me on a daily basis so that you can make memories instead of watch them pass you by. For more info and to apply, visit yatesnutrition.com mastermind. biggest reasons we see intermittent fasting used is as a weight loss tactic, right? If you've heard of it, you've probably heard of it because somebody was using it to lose weight. Or if you've done it yourself, it was probably to try and lose weight. Now, here's the thing. Some people may find that this is a helpful route for long-term weight loss, like a tiny, tiny fraction of people. However, I personally don't agree with utilizing a diet for weight loss at all. 
Actually, I really don't encourage pursuing weight loss at all, ever. Okay, why? Well, because of everything else that I've said to up to this point, okay? It's not worth the risk that we know by now are almost guaranteed, which is that we become obsessed with food. It can lead to binge eating. It can lead to eating disorders. I mean, usually our solution for weight loss is to diet, right? But the problem is that chasing weight loss oftentimes doesn't resolve the underlying issues of poor choices in behaviors or body dissatisfaction or both. If image and number, like the number on the scale or the size of our clothes or the number of calories we eat, if those are our chief concerns and and motivation, then our choices to manipulate those things are typically unsustainable, right? Have you ever known somebody that was really, really fit before they got married and then they got married and they gained a bunch of weight because they stopped, um, you know, following a healthy diet or exercising regularly. Why is that, right? Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes there's legitimate reasons, but most of the time it's because that person was image focused, right? That was their reason for the exercise and for the healthy eating. It was so they could look good for like, let's say it's a man. They want to look good for impressing women, right? Well, that's not sustainable because now they've got the girl, right? They're married, they're cuffed up for life and they don't actually enjoy exercising or healthy eating or any of the healthy behaviors. So they just go out the window. So that's what I mean by these motivations are usually unsustainable. And as a culture, we want results and we want them fast. So we turn to cheap tactics like pills, diets, such as intermittent fasting, shakes, some sort of intense program, or even surgery. And in the process of chasing these fast results, we never actually rehabilitate the reasons for why we make the choices we do and how we feel in our skin. As a result, these tactics just don't last. And there's so many reports of people who have lost the weight, but they're still just as dissatisfied in their body. Okay. So weight loss is not the answer. It's an attempted answer, (laughs) but it's not the answer. So that's why I don't condone using weight loss as a motivation for just about anything. (laughs) Okay. You'd have to make a really good argument to get me on board with that. And that's what we usually see with intermittent fasting is that it's used as a weight loss tactic. Lastly, the last concern I'll bring up is the concern of what food is being consumed during this eating window, okay? So as intuitive eaters, which is not people intermittent fasting, balancing food groups and nutrients comes really naturally, right? Because our body is guiding us to the nutrients that we're in need of. However, when that interoceptive awareness I mentioned is out the window and we're in this scarcity mindset like we see with with fasters, we often choose foods that don't really serve us as well as other ones. For example, in dieting, it's really easy to see the 
I deserve this. After being quote unquote good, the individual will eat foods that really aren't the most nutritious thing. I don't often see someone rewarding themselves with a really nourishing bowl of veggies and whole grains and lean meats, right? You don't see somebody saying, oh, I've been so good. I can't wait to go home and have a salad. Okay. Now I'm not saying that we should only eat salads. I'm not saying that at all. But what happens is that when we are in this dieting mentality, we get stuck in this world of, of good and bad foods and what's okay and what's not okay. And no matter if I agree with you or not about which foods are more nutritious than others, we shouldn't have labels on our foods. There's so many reasons for that, which I can talk about another time, but we shouldn't. And so we get obsessive about those bad foods. And during those eating windows, we're like, I got to have all the bad foods because they're off limits. And now it's my eating window and I'm going to go crazy. And then we're potentially not having a healthy variety of foods because of that. So those are my my main concerns about intermittent fasting. I have others, <laughs> but I wanted to keep it concise. Um, let's talk about what the research says, because it's always important to evaluate what the literature is saying, especially when we're looking at something that involves the human body, Right. So I want to talk about two different studies. Uh, They're both from 2020, so that's good. They're fairly recent. Uh, The first one I'll talk about looked at that 16-8 schedule. Okay, so 16 hours of fasting, 8 hours of feasting. And this study had 116 participants, including a control group. So the control group ate three consistent meals throughout the day, and then... The intervention group was following that 16-8 schedule. The study lasted for about 12 weeks, so three months, and it included both men and women with ages ranging from 18 to 64. And the participants, they, uh, I think this must have been a requirement, they had a BMI between 27 and 43, which if we care about BMI, which I don't, but if we do, categorically that means they are overweight or obese. After doing the 12 weeks of the study with those two different groups, the researchers concluded that between the two, between the control and the fasters, intermittent fasting was not more effective in weight loss than eating throughout the day. So really it had no significant effect. The other study lasted a year long, and this study looked at three different groups. Okay, so... Out of 332 participants, there were three different groups. One followed the continuous daily energy restriction pattern. So they basically were just limited every day to a certain amount of calories. And then the second group did a week on, week off energy restriction schedule. And then the third group was doing the five and two intermittent fasting pattern. So if you remember, that's five days of normal eating and then two days of fasting, which is about 500 calories or less. So two things that I want to highlight about this study that I think is really telling. 
Number one is that this study only had 146 out of 332 participants complete it. (laughs) So that means that less than half the people could finish this study, regardless of their group. Right off the bat, that shows you that really any of these methods are not ideal because they're not sustainable for even a year. If less than half of the people can do it, probably not a good thing to recommend. The second thing I want to point out about this study is that that first group I mentioned with the continuous daily energy restriction, they instructed women to consume only a thousand calories each day for the whole year. Men got it a little bit easier, but not much. They had to consume 1200 calories every day for a year. Okay. So women for the whole year, were having a thousand calories a day. Men were consuming 1200 calories a day. Honestly, this means they were starving themselves for a year. Okay, that's way too low. Way too low. The reason I bring this up in relation to the intermittent fasting group is that this group, the one that was at either 1,000 or 1,200 calories a day, they actually had a lower dropout rate than the fasting group. Comparing the two, The group that was asked to consume 1,200 calories or less had a 49% dropout rate, while the intermittent fasting group following that 5 and 2 schedule had a 58% dropout rate, so almost 10% more, 10% higher dropout rate. Moral of the story, intermittent fasting was even more torturous than that miserably restrictive 1,000 calorie a day diet. Think about that. That's powerful. As women, can you imagine only having a thousand calories a day? Maybe you've done that before and you can remember what that felt like. It's horrible. Now imagine that something's even worse than that. Okay, that's basically what we're saying here. What this study is implying is fasting was even worse than that. So here's the bottom line. I've gone through a lot of concerns. I've talked a little bit about the research on fasting. The bottom line is if it's not sustainable and there's a risk of disordered eating, then I don't see why we're encouraging it at all. I know people love to say, well, if it works for you, great. It's not for everybody, but it is for some people. Okay, well, maybe, but why are we encouraging it at all? (laughs) Like, why are we even saying that? If this is something that has a risk of disordered eating and is more torturous than a thousand calorie a day diet, we should be tuning into our body rather than tuning out and punishing it with these desperate attempts at weight loss. And as with any diet, there will always be supporters. There will always be people who are diehard about it. And there will be maybe a handful of studies that even seem promising But we have to look at the bigger picture. If intermittent fasting can lead to binge eating, food guilt, lack of interoceptive awareness, and lead to or even disguise an eating disorder, then I don't think that that's a good idea. So to to find a sustainable solution for you, I recommend giving intuitive eating a try. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate you so much. And I would love it if you would show your appreciation as well by leaving me a review. 
If you have a specific topic that you'd like me to cover in the future or a question that I can answer in a future episode, go ahead and send me an email at michelle at yatesnutrition.com with your request and I'll be sure to add it to my lineup. And if you're interested in working with me in any capacity, I would absolutely love to work with you. Take a peek at my website, yatesnutrition.com, and poke around, see what I offer. You can also fill out a request form through that website, and I will get back to you within 24 hours about next steps based on what I think is the best fit for you.